Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Today's episode is a live recording from my first supper club of the book tour to promote the latest cookbook, Dr. Ruby Cooks, and it was recorded in front of a live audience in London, where I got to enjoy some beautiful food from my own book, prepared by Hannah Geller and her team who hosted the event at her home and interviewed me. We talk about the mission for The Doctor's Kitchen, where I started, why I wrote this new book, and also what I'm up to with the app, the nonprofit work, and future aspirations to change the way we look at food as medicine. Hannah is an absolute star. After two decades working as an interior designer, creating comfortable and inviting spaces, she turned her attention to food. Combining these two great passions, she started building the Building Feasts blog to share not just recipes and stories about the dishes that she developed, but also her philosophy on designing ways to bring people together around a table. And it's this passion for food that brings out a little debate element of this interview, which I personally really enjoyed. Hannah also teaches regular cooking classes, and you can find out more about her work at buildingfeasts.com. And we actually want to do more supper clubs, just like this intimate gathering of 40 people, when we have a new studio, which is where I'm also going to be filming as well as recording the podcasts as well. So I'm thinking once every couple of months, we'll invite people down. This particular supper club sold out within days. So, you know, I, I think I want to give more people the opportunity to, to experience this little gathering, have food, network, meet other people who are interested in the same subject at the HQ and uh, yeah, maybe make this a little bit more of a regular thing. If you sign up to the newsletter, you'll be the first one to hear about these new supper clubs that we're designing. We are going to be getting a studio first, so it will be a little while. But in the meantime, when you do sign up to the newsletter, you'll be getting the eat, listen, read format, which is something to eat, something to listen to, something to read every single week that I've mindfully curated to help you have a healthier, happier week. And you can also download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free to get access to all of our recipes with specific suggestions tailored to your health needs and new recipes added every month. And for Android users, we are building our Android waitlist. So you'll be the first ones to find out if you just click the link in the bio on this podcast right now, you'll be the first to hear about it when it releases. But now on to our lovely Intimate Supper Club live podcast with Hannah Geller. Before we get started, here is a quick word from the people who make this podcast possible. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. We're all sitting here and, and grateful to you for kind of helping us all to navigate this completely mad world of nutrition and health. And there's so many avenues to which you do it. I mean, I'm personally, on a very personal note, thrilled about what you do for medical students because to start at grassroots, I, for those who don't know, one of the many, many hats that Rupi wears is he has brought nutrition into medical school to start when you're training to a doctor. To, is that, I'm correct, saying that correctly, Anna. It's start from training and you are educating from the bottom up. But the non-medics like us, the medics across the field and also improving food in hospitals, which I've seen you've been doing as well, which is really... For anyone that spent time in hospital to know that you're there to be treated and then you can't eat anything that's healthy and the staff don't have access. So that is really amazing. But it's really the reach of, to all of us through your app, through your newsletter that I think is really inspiring. And the thing that I personally love the most um, is that you don't tell us what we can't do. Like you're not there saying you can't do this and you can't do that. You're saying here is what's accessible to you. So that is a very bizarre introduction for Rupi. <laughs> I, for those who don't know, I'm Hannah. This is my home. I started my life as a designer. Um, and then about eight years ago, I started to write about food and teach classes. And I run supper clubs and I run events like this. The thing that probably excites me the most, I've always been extremely passionate about food, but for me, it's not what you make, it's how you share it and how you look after yourself by sourcing cleverly and well and making food accessible and easy and for me the most exciting thing is getting you excited about food so the prospect of sitting here and chatting to Rupi was a perfect dovetail I am definitely not a nutritionist I definitely do not practice enough moderation but it's all in the balance and here we are so Let's start. First of all, let's celebrate tonight and the launch of Cook. So this is your fourth book. Yes, yes. And I'm so it. privileged to be able to celebrate it with you guys in this wonderful <coughs> setting. It's amazing. Thank you so much, Hannah, for putting this on. Um, as soon as I walked in, I was like, wow, this is a special setting you've got here. So it's epic. Um, and yeah, this is my, my fourth cookbook. I didn't think I'd be getting to my fourth when I wrote my first one. Um, this is like a proper 
foodies, foodie <coughs> cookbook, I feel. Uh, it could live on that shelf over there with all the other cookbooks you've got over there. You. Yeah. You've got your tans there, does. you've got Diana Henry, and now you've got a Dr. Rufi cooks there as well. It's a hardback. And um, I'm just super passionate about getting accessible, healthy, easy, flavorful recipes into people's hands because everything that I do, obviously, you know, is going to be healthy because, you know, we've done all the research, we're packing lots of uh, vegetables in, we're plant centric. We uh, align all the recipes that we create with the principles of healthy eating. That if, who listens to my podcast? Any any show of hands? So you guys will know exactly what I'm talking about. Every day, every week, I'm always banging on about how we need to eat according to the principles of healthy eating. But it's also going to be super easy because we all live very busy lives. We have responsibilities. Many of us have children. Many of us work busy. Um, and, professional uh, jobs or whatever we might be doing um, and we want minimal washing up I think that's one of the things that I've, I've definitely got from feedback from a lot of people is Yotam I love him don't get me wrong yeah. but like when I whenever I do a Yotam I know I've got to do it at the weekend because <laughs> I've got to spend like hours cleaning up afterwards so I want my books to be like Monday to Friday and it sort of like lies in that moderation that you were talking about as well but also it's got to be flavorful because one of the things that I think is a bit of a myth when it comes to healthy eating is that willpower is enough and willpower is not enough. All the behavioral psychology tells us that you can't rely on willpower alone. You have to make something enjoyable and pleasurable for it to become a habit that is almost automatic. And so for healthy eating to be something that is described as banal or just health promoting, is not going to create that habit that we will want to keep for our, for our health needs. So the flavor element, I, I feel, in this particular cookbook is, um, is something that I've, I've amped up. And, you know, you'll find recipes like the sticky red beans that I've got gochujang in, for example, or you've got the, the feast section, which I think I'm most proud of because most people think about healthy eating as something that you do in solitude, like restrictive sort of diets that usually around January, February time. Whereas actually, I want you to be able to use this cookbook to entertain your friends, celebrate something with, you know, uh, do something, do a, a celebratory healthy feast under 90 minutes um, and also explore different cuisines as well whilst you're doing that. So, yeah, that was really evident in your book, actually, was how you go around the world, basically. Mm. Um, and it it. It is. I mean, when I when I cook and when I teach, I always say the three things you want to think about in a dish is flavour, colour and texture because mm. no one wants to sit down to a brown meal. It's kind of, you know, you want it to be inviting and then automatically once your eyes are satiated, you'll start to be satiated and you're probably less likely to overeat. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, what you just said there about your eyes and your senses that you're trying to entertain, you're creating anticipation. And that anticipation uh, is all the senses basically coalesce to um, impact the primary cortices of your brain. It basically is hitting your pleasure senses of your brain. And what that does is if you're hitting that over and over again, it creates repetition, it creates a behavior, it creates a habit. Big food knows this very well. Which is why when you see a McDonald's advert or something that's super indulgent, the, the shine on the food, the, the way it's been described, the image itself is 
is so well fine-tuned to the, the, the last book that I was writing, uh, that I, I wrote, I had a photographer that did a lot of corporate work. And uh, when we were talking, we are doing this, this shoot, he said to me, I'm so glad I'm doing like a proper cookbook where we can be like, you know, free and frivolous with the, the design and the styling and all that kind of stuff. So I've just done, I won't mention the name, but I've just done like a big piece of work for a, for a big company. Uh, big, uh, yeah, I won't say the name, but because um, I'm being recorded. <laughs> but um, but I, I, I'll tell you afterwards. But um, but he, he told me it was like they were so anal about every every element of light, of texture, of superlative, of all those different descriptors, because they know that they are trying to hack our brains that we that such that they create anticipation, such that they create that that uh, that. Uh, the, the the sort of anticipation of pleasure. Mm. So yeah, that's basically what we need to do with healthy eating. We need to heighten up the flavor and use the same tricks that other companies are using to create habits that are actually going to be healthful. I mean, I think your trick's quite clever though, because every book you read is telling you what you're supposed to avoid. <laughs> and the minute you're supposed to avoid it, you want it, even if you don't like it. So what you do, there's no, I read your whole book cover to cover and there was no, you can't have this. I noticed that there were certain things and ingredients that were missing. <laughs> that was fine. <laughs> but Are you going to name them? No. <laughs> it's like choose your own adventure. Everyone has to go buy the book at the end and see what they find is missing. But Spot no. the difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, no. So I think that automatically it doesn't become a chore mm. when you're not, when you aren't allowed something if you go what I loved about your book was this is how you do it because I feel so, so often we're told what we're not supposed to do which isn't helpful because just because we're not supposed to do it you're not actually told how to do it successfully yeah so that's what I think is really different about your book and it does I know that it is a it makes it less of a health book and more of a cookbook yeah that you can keep on your shelf and I thought that was really refreshing actually oh thanks I appreciate that and I think that comes from personal experience of uh, are there any medics here like GPs or yeah GP Oh, there you go. Um, so we're, I don't know whether you've had this experience, but in primary care, when you just diagnose someone with uh, high blood pressure or uh, excessive dietary cholesterol, let's say, in, in their blood panel, what we're told to do is give this sort of single sheet of low cholesterol foods or like healthy eating diet sheet and you give it to the patient say this is what you don't you can't have anymore you can't have red meat you can't have butter you can't have cheese go figure it out and that is just wholly inadequate you can't Unhelpful. yeah you, I, I, probably a lot of us have maybe even received one of those sort of like healthy eating diet sheets that that is not enough we need to really help people to create those habits. And the way you do that is by showing them and enticing them with delicious, healthy food that they can prepare themselves, but also reflects their cultural heritage. Because one of the things that I think we do badly, particularly in a, in a place as multicultural as London, is try to force a Eurocentric menu on people from a vast variety of backgrounds. Yeah. And what I try and do with my recipes is show that if you are from a Sri Lankan background, you can have Sri Lankan food. If you are from a Korean background, if you are from African background, if you are from an Indian background, you can have your heritage cuisine 
as long as it conforms to these principles of healthy eating. So whilst it might be Mediterranean in terms of its style, it doesn't need to be Mediterranean flavoured. Well, when I was, because I've selected some recipes that we will taste afterwards that I've made, and it was really quite fun because <laughs> we've kind of, we've got stuff from all over. We have little Mediterranean salad and we have you know, some masala cauliflower and we've got some Tunisian chickpeas and a bit of cornbread. And I'm like, wow, we've gone, we've gone around the world and it's all hanging together, you know, happily on the table and colourful. So yeah, no, it was, it was really, it was really, I was like, oh, what should I make? Yeah. <laughs> and I was obviously in my way that I approach things was like, how is it gonna, how is it gonna look together? I didn't want everything the same colour. So once I knew that there was, well, the flavor combinations are going to be okay, then I went to the colors because actually it matters on your plate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've got to have variation. So. Yeah, absolutely. You, I mean, the, so the, the principles of healthy eating are, are, are pretty simple. I, I always say, look, the, the, the science is complex. You know, when we're talking about anti-inflammatory chemicals, we're talking about polyphenols, we're talking about the gut microbiota, all that wonderful science is super complicated. The solution is very simple. It is eat more healthful food, have more diversity in your diet, increase fiber, have a plant-centric diet. Implementation, that's the hard bit. Science is complex, solutions are simple. Implementation, doing it every single day, that's the hard stuff. I find that it's the pre-cook cook. So it's not actually the cooking that's mm. tricky. It's when are you shopping? Yes. What are you cooking it in? Like that's where I feel people really struggle when they go to cook. They think, I've got it all there, but then there's that one thing, I don't have anything serving. So, and then they're bought. So it's actually, what's so great about your book is you can literally serve it in the things you've made it. So it's about, the cooking isn't tricky. It's how it fits into your week. And I think that is part of the education yeah. of cooking. Yeah. It's not how to fry an onion. It's when are you <laughs> going to buy it? Where are you going to buy it? How long is it going to last? Totally. And what else are you going to use with it? Because yeah. then once the kind of, that's part of the system. And I think that's really kind of, you you cover that really well, actually. Uh, and, and that's why I love working with, with chefs and, and home cooks and, and people who, like absolutely adore food because you are creating culinary confidence in people that require it if they are to eat well every single day. I get DMs all the time about like, oh, I don't have this particular ingredient. What can I use as a swap? And I'm like, straight away, I know intuitively, as many people here probably know as well, because we're all probably intuitive cooks, that you could swap coriander seeds with this other aromatic, or you can swap fennel for another alien vegetable. Um, and the health benefits are relatively you know, similar. It's not really about being prescriptive about singular ingredients. It's actually being a lot more flexible and knowing how they flex in a, in a recipe. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of part of the whole, you know, the cooking adventure is, you know, being able to play with it a bit of it and have fun. And I think that goes back to being contained but not restrictive. Yeah, yeah. So that's and the really fun element, I think, is really important as well because, like, Food is one of the most beautiful ways in which we can communicate across different cultures. You know, it's one, it's a huge route to pleasure. It's a, 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 an amazing way to celebrate. It's an incredible centerpiece of community. I mean, events like this really do like warm my soul because 
You get to meet people of a delicious, hopefully delicious food. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Hannah, definitely He's done a great job. He's taking no credit for anything we're eating tonight in terms no, of the no, execution. It, 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 it does look wonderful. I was not one of the well. recipe testers. We'll come to that. I was not yeah. selected as a recipe tester. But, you know, I, I think it's just one of those wonderful things that shouldn't be put into a bucket of either it's comfort food or it's healthy food. There is a, a, a rich sort of... Um, there's a partnership to be had there. And that's hopefully what I, I do with the recipes and the content that I put out and the way I describe food as well. Yeah, I think also what's really, you're very clear being a doctor, you must get a lot of questions, but um, <laughs> that this is not, you're not curing. This isn't the cure all diet. Mm. This is a preventative way to live, which I think is a really kind of important distinction. Do you want to talk yeah, about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bit? I mean, within, within the book, this book, and then even previous books as well, particularly Eat to Be Illness, I, I do dive into this whole concept of food as medicine. And I think it's been misinterpreted in many ways by people willingly or unwillingly, I'm not too sure, um, as a replacement for things like pharmaceuticals and, and, and drugs and medications. When that's not really, that's not really what I'm talking about at all. Um, there are some minor and rare instances where food can be the medicine, um, and that's part of the treatment and management plan. But more so than not, it's really about a preventative lifestyle that encompasses all the other foundations of healthy living that we know can prevent some of the biggest killers that afflict us, particularly in the Western world. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I make that distinction pretty clear. Um, but I also welcome, you know, other ways of thinking about things. Like I grew up in an Indian household. Uh, Ayurvedic sort of traditions were very much sort of instilled in me. I promptly poo-pooed a lot of that when I went to med school. And then I came back to when I got ill myself, when I became a junior doctor about 14 years ago, um, when, I, when I had to sort of undergo uh, my own sort of consultations, my own sort of patient journey. Um, and a lot of what I thought was just old wives' tale that my my mum and my family were telling me actually turned out to have a lot of scientific <laughs> evidence behind them. So I, I've had Mom's a lot of I told right. you so. Yeah, I've had I've had that a lot, and I've had a lot of I told you so's, yeah. and I continue to get that yeah, as well yeah. every Never time ending. you know they bring something up. But um, I, you know, I love it. I love being sort of a, a, a student of multiple different cuisines traditions and different medical practices that makes me slightly unique i think compared to it makes some medics uncomfortable it makes other people uh, a lot more inquisitive um and i like to think that i i, I find the balance well but true and true I'm, I'm a foodie otherwise i'd just be prescribing cow salads to everyone <laughs> it's, it's the whole load of mental health benefits as well but one thing you talk about is consistency mm. <clears throat> now for some of us, consistency is a bit challenging. Um, can you talk about consistency versus moderation and what you mean by consistency? Because yeah. I think that people could misinterpret that and I think it's a really important point. Yeah, I think so. Um, so the, the benefits of eating well really come down to how well you are to consistently eat uh, in a way that aligns with those principles of healthy eating. Uh, there was a really interesting study by uh, Professor Gardner at Stanford University. It was called the A to Z study. And what they did is they compared different diets. I think they had a low-carb diet, a paleo diet, 
um, even a, uh, something that was bordering ketogenic. And they followed these patients up for 12 months. And that's actually quite a long time when it comes to nutrition studies. And what they found was uh, they were looking at a particular endpoint, which I don't really like. It's, it's weight as an endpoint, as well as a few other parameters. But weight was the primary endpoint. And what they found was every single diet was exactly the same in terms of its efficacy. The, the factor that uh, differentiated whether someone was going to be successful on it or not was whether they were able to consistently eat according to that diet. Because when you group them all together, a lot of them do very similar things. They remove the crap, they increase plants, and they increase whole foods. With the exception of extreme ketogenic diets, they're also increasing fiber as well. So really it comes down to how well, how consistently well can you eat in a way that aligns with healthy eating principles. And so for me, I'm pretty agnostic as to whether you choose to be 100% plant-based or have a little bit of meat in your diet, as long as it's roughly in line with that. And I'm more concerned about, okay, how can we get you eating in a certain way consistently? Because moderation, I think, is sort of a term that I love, don't get me wrong, but it's almost used as a bit of an excuse like every single day, you're like a couple of brownies, yeah, moderation. Rule, maybe, not so much. <laughs> yeah, maybe not so much. And yeah. I, I think the moderation term can be used kind of loosely. I Don't get me wrong, I do it myself. We as do well. have ice cream tonight. <laughs> yeah. Which is, is that, from my I book. Did, I know, you said ice cream. I was like, yes. <laughs> Which is from ice my cream. book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And is... I did ask about how I got very confused what to do about drinks. <laughs> anyway. Sort it all out. Yeah. That to me, I guess it's your own interpretation of what moderation is, right? Yeah. So for me, that's a bit of moderation. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> one drink. Um, so one of the things that I listened to your podcast with Tim Spector last week oh, when yeah. it came out, which was, I, I love him too. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> I'll tell him you said that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, you asked him a question that I thought was brilliant. So I'm going to ask you the question. Okay. <laughs> um, okay and that was, that. You get asked a lot of questions by a lot of people, but what question would you like to answer? Yeah. That yeah. was a great question. Yeah. Thought, Brilliant. I'm going to ask him that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I know Tim for a little while and uh, he's been on the podcast a couple of times, I think, before. And, um, you know, when you're doing these sort of book PR events, they all seem very sort of similar. Not this, by the way. This is really <laughs> different. This is very different. And I love it. Uh, I have a special shout out to Sarah for organizing everything as well. She's, she's wonderful. Um, I, y y everyone sort of asks the same questions of the interviewee. It's like, you know, uh, Dr. Rupi, what are the principles of healthy eating? Dr. Rupi, like, what, tell me about this. Tell me about saturated fat. Tell me about cheese. Um, and that's why I like to sort of open up a conversation about whatever my guest wants to talk about what what really like gets them fired up and i think it's uh, honestly it's the the subject around consistency the subject around the celebratory elements around food about mm -hmm. how we can create a culture of healthy eating within this country um but aside from that it's creating a generation of medics who can appreciate nutritional medicine creating uh, an environment where we can actually enjoy healthy food in the workplace, which is why the hospital food element, just to clarify, I'm not working currently on hospital food for patients. I'm actually working on hospital food for patient visitors and staff because people who are stuck in these hospitals, as our consultant friend will, will attest to, you know, you're going to be there for 12, 13 hours sometimes in a day, particularly the administrators, the porters, the nurses, and the, and the, the junior medics as well. And where do you have to eat? 
well, you've got, I don't know, I'll say the names again, but you know, you don't have very healthy options. You usually have like a, a baked item, a white bread sandwich, you know, a meal deal. And these are sort of quote unquote normal, but we know that's not normal. We know that that can spike your glucose level up. You know that it's lacking in fiber. We know it doesn't have any healthful elements to it. It's just something for sustenance and that's just not good enough. And that's why I'm really passionate about completely reforming those spaces in which we eat and normalizing what healthy uh, and good lunches look like. Um, so that those are probably the things that I'm most passionate about and where I want to direct my attention. But I'll tell you the other thing that you mentioned, uh, the pre-cook. That's yeah. really interesting because the other side to what I do with the doctor's kitchen is I just started my, my app um, about a year ago. And right now it's um, a library of recipes that you can filter according to health goals. So me and my research team, we look through the dietary patterns and ingredients that align with um, anti-inflammation. So we use something called the Dietary Inflammation Index. Um, cardiovascular health, so we'll look at Mediterranean diet guidelines, for example, or healthy eating index guidelines. And that allows the user to just quickly filter through all these delicious recipes without really having to Google, what should I eat for? One of the things that we've consistently got feedback on is how do I make the whole process of generating a shopping list easier? How do I just quick click a button and then my whole week is sorted for me or my family or my partner or my kids? all their tastes and allergens are sort of catered for, and our health needs as well, in the click of a button. That's something that we should already have, and that's- but Do you think that's possible? Because this is where I'm gonna start a debate with you. Yeah, let's do I, it. One of the things <laughs> that I think is really important about making choices about what you want to eat is actually making the choice. Mm -hmm. So if you have a weekly food shop, and you have the same food shop every week, you're not engaging with what you're doing. So you're not going and stopping at the vegetable shop on your way home and going, oh my God, that cauliflower looks amazing. Mm. That's what I'm gonna make. You're not starting the process before you've even started. Yeah. Your choice is already made and it's a very passive decision. So one thing I like to encourage people to do is actually search out what they want to eat when it comes to the fresh fruit and vegetables because then they're already excited about it whereas if they're unpacking their shopping they're thinking bloody hearts cauliflower <laughs> that's not exciting yeah. so I think it's a really difficult thing to to actually manage yeah. because that requires more time because then you're required to actually go to the shops rather than sit at your desk and multitask and order it online so it's it's a real tension but I think that when you like eating well is the I think, from a totally non-medical or nutritional perspective, one of the best forms of self-care mm. because you are thinking about yourself and what you want and meeting your needs and, and really thinking about what will make you feel good on that day. Yeah. And I think when you start the process like that, you're less likely to fall down the rabbit hole of grabbing chocolate because you haven't eaten and you're too hungry and you're less likely to spike. So that's where I feel, and I think creating that is going to be really, it, it creates attention because people are becoming numb to those mm. decisions. It becomes, autom everything we're doing is so automated. And yeah. I think when you think about what you want to eat, the excitement starts when you start thinking about it before you've set foot in a shop or in your kitchen or anywhere else to start the process. So that's the way I like to think about it. And I'm completely obviously food obsessed, yeah. so it helps. Yeah. Um, but one of the things you said, I just want to come back to, which was kind of 
family eating together because yeah. I think that's another I think when you share food with other people it becomes a celebration you're less likely to eat looking at your phone or watching tv and it becomes less of an issue about what you're eating but who you're sharing it with and one of the things that was really interesting about your book is a lot of the recipes are for two people because mm. while sharing food with other people as a celebration is really great we don't most of us eat meals with other people all the time and it's about taking the time and the care to actually feed yourself and sometimes just to celebrate that solo meal and I think it's really accessible from your book and I think when you start thinking that way then it probably helps filter down and yeah. maintain the consistency yeah you don't think when I'm eating on my own I'm gonna have a piece of you know I'm gonna have a pop tart but when I eat with everyone else I'm gonna eat like you know a lovely the Indian vegan feast app yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's the consistency start and so that's what I thought was so helpful in kind of helping you know educating us in almost like uh, removing the romance or the beauty of cooking uh, by automating out you know all the recipes and taking that headache away from you I, I agree there's a balance to strike, yeah, it's really right? Nice. Because I love like going to, you know, in a true sort of bougie uh, fashion on the weekend, I go to my, my, my farmer's market. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. <laughs> Mine's on a Saturday. I'm right but there with yeah, you, I go yeah. on Saturday. Religious. After, yeah, I go there, I chat to my grocers, I chat yeah. to the fishermen. I, 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 I love it, but, but you know, I'm a real foodie. But then things come into season, you're excited about them, like rhubarb's here, amazing. Totally, totally. You know. But then I chat to my mates. Yeah. And then, and uh, particularly my, my male friends, and I can say that because there's hardly heavy female. Here, I did do you warn you. Heavy yeah. female, yeah. Um, and I chat to them and they're like, I've never been to a farmer's market, you know? <laughs> what do you mean? And, and it's a bit of an issue. Yeah. And so I would say there is definitely a balance to strike where you want some foundational level or something looking after your health that you can automate out. But then also, you know, you can open up one of your delicious cookbooks at the weekend and then enjoy something there. That might, it might not be the solution for everyone, but for a lot of people, they need that sort of foundation. 100%. I agree. No, I completely agree. But I'm just saying there's also that tension because if you only do that. Then, yes. But yeah. also there's like a whole, I have another philosophy of cook once, eat twice. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, leftovers is a, yeah, is a big yeah. it's thing like in our It's like your best household. friend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But some people are very adverse to leftovers as well. It's almost like, you know, what happened with Google Maps. Yeah. You, you know, when I was at med school uh, 20 years ago now, uh, we didn't have Google Maps. I knew London like the we back of my hand. We had to find our way. Found, I knew the buses, I knew everything. Now, if, if I had to walk home, even though I'm not too far from here, I'd get lost. I, I would literally get lost because I don't... I haven't had to exercise that. It's not even that you would have got like, you don't even have to think about it. It's not something that even has to cross your brain. You exactly. don't even have to. Yeah. Because someone's already telling you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So therefore you're not looking up and taking note of the streets. And the yes, oh, yeah, yeah. I have an issue with that. And there, yeah, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> so, and, you know, I'm so I, old. I, I, appre <laughs> I appreciate what I've lost, but then the, the convenience option that I've gained is okay for me. No. And people always have the option of, you know, well, I don't want to do that. I'd rather go to the market and find out what's good for my cauliflower and use the principles of healthy eating and I can figure it out myself. For a lot of people, 
they they don't even want to do that. So my question is, if they're not doing that, it's how do you engage them? So yeah. that's really my question. It's yeah. not. It wasn't like it was. It was more. If you are living in this more automated, repetitive, mm. disengaged because you're not thinking about it, like yeah. the way you're not thinking about your route home because yeah. you don't need to. You're absolutely fine with that. Yeah. It's fine. They don't have to think about their list. But then, how do they get excited? And that's really, I think, that's the challenge almost. Yeah. Yeah. I. Th- I think the excitement can definitely be brought out, but in a slightly different way. Um, You know, I I can't say I get excited about my Google Maps uh, route that's going to be taking me straight home. You do excite people in what you're doing (laughs) because you've got like, I think you're doing it. But I'm just saying like that, I think when it comes to cooks and encouraging people to eat, that is, I mean, if you can be excited and engaged, then you automatically will do it more. It helps to, it's like setting the wheels in motion, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to open up the floor. Now, as I said, Dr. Rupi gets loads of questions. So we'd love you to ask questions. He is going to, after this, I should, I should have, I've gone this all backwards, sorry. I should have told you at the beginning how this was going to work, but I didn't. We all just sat down. Um, I'm going to bring out some food, some samples for us to try from the book. We're going to have some masala cauliflower, which has a cucumber writer. We have a... It In the book, it's the celeriac, roasted celeriac salad. Yep. There was an option to have sweet potatoes and turnips and parsnips. So I've done all of them on a bed of radicchio. Substitutions. Substitutions or additions, yeah. either one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or all of it, because I thought, thought we're a lot of people. Um, we're also having some Tunisian chickpeas, which have harissa in, and they're served with some tahini. Um, and we have some cornbread, which has some hot honey on top. Everything has a punch and a kick that comes from a different part of the world, which I love. And then once you've done this plates out there, we'll bring out all the food, we'll clear some of the chairs, and then we have some apple crumble with ice cream. The apple crumble is vegan, the ice cream is not. So just state if you don't want to have it. It's got miso in it, and it's absolutely bloody genius. It's so good. <laughs> I was actually a bit upset when I was eating it, but it was so good. Um, so it's really amazing. Um, oh, the so miso, I was like, that is so clever. Yeah. Anyway, so clever. Um, so Dr. Troopy's going to ask some questions. I think if we can keep more personal questions for afterwards when he'll be signing books and we've got books to sign and if there's more general questions um that'd be great so open up the floor and then when we're done we'll eat you spoke about a food a healthy food revolution and there's clearly a cost of living crisis and enormous amounts of food poverty in Mm. in schools how do you how do you change the culture and especially when so many people are under the poverty line and getting school meals what do you can you, is there anything that you can recommend? Or yeah, totally. I mean, like, so we're, we're trying to tackle this in, in different ways. So within Culinary Medicine, which is the nonprofit that I started uh, back in 2017, um, that was really geared towards trying to educate the new generation of medics about nutrition during their training. Because I'm not too sure if everyone's aware, the average training is about five hours in the context of a five to six year degree. Um, there was a recent study that like mapped it all out and it, the range is from zero to 20 hours. So some people are not getting anything. Um, so we were trying to overhaul that. Culinary medicine are also creating um, healthy budget meals uh, that we're giving out via other culinary schools across the country. 
Uh, I did something very recently with BBC. Um, so we created recipes based on the latest supermarket prices as of November 2022. Um, and we managed to get down the portions, uh, sorry, the servings um, uh, between one pound and one pound 40. And I made sure there was three portions of vegetables in every serving as well. And it's like, it, it's being very creative with the ingredients, so using frozen, using tinned or canned, you know, all these different things that your average home cook, particularly if you're time poor, um, you're, you're feeding multiple mouths, you're not really gonna have that creativity. So put that out there, and Jack Moran does obviously a lot of stuff. There is an insidious line where you, no matter how cheap I get a budget recipe down to, it's never going to be enough. And food banks have a massive responsibility, unfortunately. I remember having a conversation with Professor Guy Standing. I don't know if anyone's heard of Professor Guy, but he's a big proponent of this concept of universal basic income, which is where everyone in the country gets a base layer of cash. And I proposed to him this idea of, well, wouldn't it be great if everyone just got healthy food for healthy items in every single household he actually didn't take kindly to the idea um he uh, he actually said that because you're chaining people who are below that poverty line to what they can consume or not like whether they choose to spend money on food or choose to spend money on other things that loss of control is actually worse for their their feelings of, of being trapped but on the other side, there is a, a charity called the Alexander Rose Charity. He was on my podcast recently, Jonathan Poise, fantastic guy. He's um, uh, launched a pilot where they're giving Rose vouchers. Uh, Rose vouchers are five to 20 pounds. And you can only spend these vouchers, these, these literal money, in the markets where they, they sell fruits and vegetables and generally healthy items. So there are some schemes being piloted where that would literally be for free. Um, and it stimulates the economy. There's a whole bunch of other um, uh, beneficial outcomes as well. So there are things there that are definitely happening. My hands are sort of tied as to what I can have an impact on, but I, I definitely think it's gonna be a blend of universal basic income, uh, healthy food vouchers, uh, and greater um, uh, responsibility from the government and schools about how we can uh, provide healthier options for, for children. Great. Sorry, that was a very long answer, but it's, no. uh, it's quite a compli yeah. complicated uh, topic. Yeah. Uh, this is due uh, with the Zoe study, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. Um, so where you, know, you give some samples and they give you back specific information about the diet you should eat. And also you get a glucose monitor if you opt for that. I'm wondering, would that be useful for people, for example, who come in, uh, who have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, whose diet isn't that great? Do you think in the future this would be something that would be rolled out in the NHS? So, yeah, I, uh, personalized medicine, also known as P4 medicine, if you look at it in the literature, is basically predictive, um, it's personalized, and there's a couple other Ps that I've forgotten. Um, <laughs> but basically, it's what, you, what you've just described. It's where you have uh, continuous wearables that monitor everything from the fats in your blood, your sugar responses to certain foods, your microbiota and how that changes day to day, even according to your, your periods as well, it can also change the stresses in your life, the seasons, all these things have an impact. And we don't really know what's under the hood at the moment. We're sort of like eating blind. 
The caveat to that is I think most people can garner the benefits of healthy eating by just doing healthy eating principles. And actually that extra 10, 15% of extra personalization that you get from those different tests might be able to fine tune a little bit, but actually we need to get the basics right. And that's why my, my honest opinion is these are great. And I think uh, therefore a particular type of person who loves the analytics, who loves learning uh, uh, exactly what's going on. I'm one of those people, I wear an aura ring, I monitor my sleep. I do a whole bunch of tests periodically throughout the, the year. But ultimately, how much has changed my dietary habits? Probably not that much at all. And really, it's about, I always come back to this, it's boring, but it's consistency. <laughs> it's really about consistency. So my obsession is really, how can I create an environment where you can make the right choices, regardless of whether you, know, you should be having this particular brand of crisps or uh, this particular brand of oats? You know, it's really about the consistency part rather than uber, uber personalization. Throughout your um, journey, you must have met some amazing chefs, yeah. authors, and had some great experiences. So what has been your best foodie experience? Oh, uh, do, doing Saturday Kitchen. Uh, but without, yeah, without, without a doubt. So Saturday Kitchen is my favorite show. I've watched it for absolutely years, you know, back when James Martin was doing it. Um, and when I got the opportunity to cook on it. So I've been on it a couple of times. The first time was during... Uh, it was it was branded the daily kitchen. I don't know if you remember it during COVID. They did a couple of weeks where they did a daily kitchen, yeah. and they got me to come on and you know give my sort of two cents about how you can use uh, uh, store cupboard spices because we couldn't buy anything from the supermarkets at that time. Um, and then when I got invited to do uh, a recipe on the show, that was like a dream come true for me. So that was probably the height of uh, like my career um, in terms of the foodie stuff. Um, yeah, and then. Um, uh, working with Jamie, uh, I think, on uh, one of his shows a couple of years ago, yeah, he's been a big inspiration of mine with what, he's, uh, what he did with school dinners. We were talking about it before, like, ultimately it hasn't been a success, but for one person to generate that much attention to it, the fact that we're still talking about it 20 years on, pretty impressive. I think it was successful in some ways, though. Yeah, the interesting uh, and complicated world of service contracts when it comes to public sector catering. So um, I'm going to be careful about who I talk about here, but there are a number of multinational corporations that basically own uh, all the contracts uh, across everything from MOD, uh, prisons, hospitals, schools, everything. Um, and they work on economies of scale and efficiency. So everything is generally made in a centralized kitchen and then it's farmed out to uh, all these different things. Industrialized yeah. food. So industrialized food. But also the reason why they are able to have those contracts is because they're the only ones that can actually achieve that level of distribution based on the budget that they're given by the government. So I believe it's around a pound a plate in hospitals for the entire day. Um, and, and so it's 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 eye-wateringly low amounts um, that these corporations have to deal with. And so it has to, it basically becomes industrialized yeah. as, a, as, a, as a product of the amount of money that's been injected into it. So uh, just from my very short time looking at hospital food, I understand why things like Jamie's school dinners were so tough because he basically needed to lobby the government to put more money into it, which he did. 
But then, you know, you've got a whole bunch of middlemen, you're dealing with all these different service contractors, people have different interpretations of the rules. It's very, very hard. Um, but there is definitely a way. I think there's, I mean, that's why I'm, I still want to do something about it. I tell you who's making really, really big waves in this is um, Chefs and Schools. Yeah, um, and Thomasina Mize yeah. is, you know, one of the patrons of that. Um, she's demonstrating that their model works at yeah. the price point uh, that go uh, governments and, and local authorities have set. Um, and I think that's definitely one to watch because if she can do that in schools, <coughs> then we could also do that in other public sector yeah. environments like hospitals as well. But it, it really comes down to staff training and actually getting more people involved in, in the catering industry because as everyone is probably aware, there's a huge shortage of, of chefs. It's very hard to get um, staff these days. Um, and, and from my experience of going to multiple different hospitals, you have some staff that are like really energetic and really skilled, others that are really unskilled and don't have the capacity to actually produce really good food other than you know just putting something into an oven and taking it out and then serving it. So yeah, there's a real like skill uh, imbalance as well. So this is a question about fish. Lovely fish, yeah. Thank you so much for the discussion. I feel like I've read so many opinions about fish that even the fish must be confused. <laughs> That's a really good description. I'm yeah. going to use that. <laughs> and, and just any any advice on, I understand in moderation, but really what kind of fish should we eat? Yeah, yeah. It's so hard because like you read one thing uh, in the literature around the environmental pollutants that are concentrated, particularly in shellfish, for example, in big fatty fish like salmon, even wild salmon. Uh, and then you're like, okay, well, we'll go farmed. Farmed, they've got their own issues. They're fed on a, on a weird diet that's not natural. They suffer from lice. They suffer from, you know, there's a whole uh, issue of fake fish. And then you, you ask yourself, okay, well, why are we eating fish? Is it for protein? Is it for omega-3s? Is it for other elements of you know, uh, the, the diet that we need? I, I love eating fish um, and I will have it in moderation, <laughs> using that word, uh, probably once every uh, week, if not once every two weeks to mitigate against any potential environmental pollutants that can be concentrated in fish if it's not farmed properly. I do eat small fish quite a bit. So things like anchovies, herring, that are uniquely delicious and very good for us as well. And you have less of an issue with the environmental pollutants because they're quite small. Um, but it, it's a real tough choice because we're also told that to save the world, we shouldn't be eating any fish at all. Um, and there is evidence to suggest that as well. I think it really depends on the holistic picture of your diet, where you can choose different proteins <laughs> and getting diversity as much as possible. That's sort of my strategy because there is no, I'll be honest, I, you know, I would love to sit here and be like, this is, these are the only types of fish you can eat and this is what you can't eat. There is no clear cut answer. And anyone who suggests that there is, is most likely not being truthful to the evidence. So I would say around once a week, uh, go for small where possible. Um, and I would also uh, envisage things like oysters and, and shellfish like that um, to, 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 to have like once every two weeks or so because there is an environmental pollutant risk. All right, guys. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure and an honour to start the book tour here. So congratulations. Thank you. And thank you all for coming. And... 
let's tuck into some snacks. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Doctor's Kitchen podcast and this lovely live supper club event that we had. We are definitely going to be doing some more of these. I absolutely love doing it. And you'll be the first one to find out about it if you subscribe to the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter. You can find the link to that in the podcast show notes or on the doctorskitchen.com website. I'll see you here next time.